Welcome to What's Next, Cornet Global's podcast that puts members on the microphone with thought-provoking, profession-shaping conversations and commentary. Hi, this is Tim Venable of Cornet Global. Joining me for this edition of What's Next are Darren Lombardi and Katie Ross of Microsoft. They're here to talk with us about their experience leading water conservation efforts at Microsoft's Silicon Valley campus. Thanks for being here. And if you would, please introduce yourselves a bit further. Yes, hi, my name is Darren Labardi, and um, I have 20 plus years in uh, facility design construction operations. Um, I started my career uh, building chemical plants and environmental treatment systems. And then down the line at some, at some point, um, I transitioned over to building building offices and campuses. Um, I've also spent about eight years overseas in Asia, um, which, which really allowed me to see some different uh, techniques and, and kind of really helped me embrace um, you know, different learnings and this, this idea of a net zero water campus as I toured a Singapore water plant back in 2004. So when the, uh, when the engineers came to me and said, you know, let's think about how, how to do something different, I knew it's something that we could actually uh, be done. And that kind of leads me to the last seven years I've been leading the design and construction team on the Silicon Valley uh, campus project um, from land acquisition to entitlement um, from conceptual design through construction. And now we're operating the campus. And I'm really excited today to share some of the sustainable features of the campus. And uh, my name is Katie Ross and I lead sustainability for Microsoft's real estate portfolio. Within Microsoft, we have 33 million square feet of offices around the world. And I am responsible for end-to-end -end sustainability strategy as we think about transaction management, project management, running our buildings, our FM work. I partner with our other business groups to align to Microsoft's corporate commitments of being carbon negative, water positive and zero waste. Um, and my career has been focused in sustainability in the built environment. So looking forward to chatting with you today. Fantastic, thank you both. Now, as we kick off, perhaps a decade or so ago now, uh, we began to hear water is the new oil in discussions about sustainability as recognition grew of the importance and increasing scarcity in many places of this valuable resource. Given what we're seeing today in terms of drought and the effects of climate change, especially in the Western United States, that perspective and warning seems to have been prescient. Is access to water as much of a challenge as it seems to be? Sure. So what we know is that while water is plentiful, covering 70% of the Earth's surface, 97% of this water is saline. It's located in our oceans and it's not fit to drink or use for crops. Furthermore, the water, the world's fresh water isn't equally distributed or accessible and is found disproportionately in places where people don't actually live. So as the human civilization has expanded, we've reached a point globally where humanity depletes the available fresh water supply at a rate of 4.3 trillion cubic meters every year. And the majority of that actually goes to agriculture and industrial uses. Today, the UN projects that more than 2 billion people lack access to safe drinking water, and climate change is only intensifying that water shortage. The UN estimates that one in four people may live in a, in a country affected by chronic water shortages by 2050. And according to the World Bank, this climate-induced reduction of freshwater availability coupled with increased demand, could reduce our water availability in cities by more than 66% by 2050. 
So getting ahead of the world's water crisis will require a reduction in the amount of water humans use to operate our economies and societies, as well as a concerted effort to ensure that there is sufficient water in the places that we need most. This will require the transformation of the way we manage our water systems and a concerted, a concerted effort for all of our organizations to actually account for and balance their water usage. What Microsoft is doing is on both accounts, taking responsibility for our own water usage, as well as partnering on a technology platform to help others do that same accounting. We are committed to being water positive by 2030. And what that means is tackling our own water consumption first, reducing our water intensity within our four walls, and then replenishing the water that we use in water stress regions that we operate. This means that by 2030, Microsoft will replenish more water than it consumes on a global basis. Great, Katie, thanks so much. Now, I know that sustainability in its various forms is important to Microsoft as it develops and renovates its offices and campuses around the world. We hear a lot about energy conservation as part of sustainable development and green buildings, but water conservation is absolutely part of that overall picture. So given that, tell us about your Silicon Valley campus, the employee headcount, the number of buildings on the campus, the square footage and so on, which I think you alluded to earlier. And then tell us what you're doing to conserve water there. We'd like to hear not only about the big picture strategy to conserve water, but some of the more tactical and perhaps even uh, technology enabled efforts you're making as part of your facilities management and uh, sustainability program. Sure, Tim. Um, let's start with the campus. You know, it sits on 32 acres and it comprises really of one building, 650,000 square feet. Um, we have a parking structure along with amenities such as a fitness center, a soccer field, basketball and volleyball courts, and a three-acre green roof. It will house um, at least 2,200 employees and was built to bring all of our South Bay employees together. So we used to be spread out across five to six buildings. Um, and given the fight for talent in the region, it was purposely built to focus on the employee experience, you know, with with some internal goals of, you know, um, collaboration, building internal community and health and wellness at the center of the design. And sustainability was, you know, was a foundation uh, for all the design considerations. So was hopefully as we talk, um, you'll get a sense of how the design is, and sustainability are intertwined throughout the design. The main structure itself, it's a two-building uh, construct. So, um, but again, massive floor plates, 650,000 square feet. So each of those floor plates is about 300,000 uh, square feet with courtyards um, of varying scale cut into the building to support you know, kind of both health and wellness as well as sustainability. One thing to kind of understand how Microsoft sits our people. So we, we suite our employees in, in neighborhoods of 10 to 14 people. And what, what this is, is really a neighborhood concept. And what, what we do then is we're allowing our employees to sit adjacent to these courtyards, which really enable a few things from a design standpoint. From a health and wellness standpoint, this means everyone has access to natural light. Uh, no one sits more than 35 feet from a window. And then windows actually open on campus. And so we actually have access to fresh air all day long. From a sustainability uh, uh, standpoint, the courtyards and the, and the windows really allow us to reduce energy consumption from uh, reduced lighting and HVAC demands. Um, so then if we kind of pull back away from the courtyard back up to the building scale, um, there's a couple other sustainable features we kind of want to talk about. Uh, the building features uh, mass timber construction. It's one of the largest mass timber buildings in North America. And we just uh, received our LEED Platinum certification uh, last week. So uh, happy to say that. Congratulations. Um, thank you. Um, and we're also pursuing the uh, water pedal from the Living Building Challenge, which really leads us to the topic of the water story, which is what you asked me on the second part of that question. 
we really have ambitious water focused sustainable features on the campus. And I like to I think of them in about three buckets. Uh, we have water conservation, energy efficiency, and habitat restoration. Um, we talked a little bit about the uh, energy efficiency when I was describing these neighborhoods, but we'll get to a little bit more detail. So the project itself is designed to reduce overall energy use and increase efficiency through the use of a closed loop water-based energy loop. So that, that's a combination of thermal energy storage tanks and a radiant cooling system, which uh, we then circulate water across the campus during the day. And then we collect that water in, the, in those tanks overnight and cool it down when it's most efficient to do so, it, either at nighttime or when the, when the local utility says you know, it's best for the, for the grid. So we do utilize chillers on the site. But not, but no cooling towers. So again, no evaporative losses when we have this closed energy loop. And so again, it's a, it's a, it's a way to we can serve water as well just through our our energy systems. Um, in addition, uh, we have passive ventilation systems which circulate fresh air through the building, uh, helping to cool those interiors. And we've got great weather here in uh, in the Bay Area, so that that helps reduce the need for mechanical cooling and air conditioning. And we also have uh, rooftop solar arrays which uh, offset about twenty percent of our energy demand. So kind of switching gears and moving to the habitat. Uh, you know, the project is really seeking to restore the ecological function of Stevens Creek, which went converting about one and a half acres of surface parking into net to native landscape. In this case, uh, our focus was on the oak uplands that, that were here before we started developing the North Bay Shore. So we planted over 600 native trees and greenery that have been planted that support um, nearly 50 local species. And then from there, we stormwater that is retained on the living roof and collected from paved areas is, is routed to the landscape. So in this case, we have bioswales. We know the, where the, once it rains, we capture that water in the bioswale. That water remains there and naturally settles and, and before it returns to ecology in Stevens Creek. So it just helps increase the vitality of the landscape. We also have a three-acre green roof, which provides pathways for, the, uh, for both pollinators and birds to help encourage biodiversity. And so all of these movements will help with the restoration of the area. So next, if we think about the main story that you, that you asked really around water conservation. And, and the key to this story is really understanding that today, you know, it's typical to use drinking water for not only drinking, but also the to flush toilets, to irrigate the landscape and so forth. Uh, so basically, you know, we, we take water, we use it once, we send it back to the municipal sewer where it's treated and then you know, sent off back to sea. And so what we wanted to do with the campus was really, you know, show that there's a better way to manage this resource, you know, especially where, where we're located in California, you know, we're in a drought prone part of the world. So we thought we'd be, we could be a good example, of, you know, of how to, you know, think about, you know, reusing, recycling water, you know, at scale and, and how, how it can be done a little bit smarter. So uh, to that extent, you know, the project is designed to offset 100% of our non-potable water demand through, through this on-site recycled water system, saving, you know, roughly 4 million gallons per year of drinking water. And we do this in two ways. First way, we harvest rainwater from our clean roof systems so that that water is collected and treated for reuse. And that accounts for about 10% of our demand on an, on an annual basis. And then secondly, uh, we have our wastewater treatment plant on site. And then so we collect and treat all the different types of water that come on campus. And so that means toilet flushing and things of that sort, things coming from the cafes, sinks, showers, anything that's, that's used on campus, we collect that water and then we treat it and then we can uh, repurpose it and recycle it on campus. The key to really achieving this was uh, you know, kind of making this decision early on in the project. You can't say that you want, you want to build a sustainable campus and then think about bolting things later on as part of the design goes. And so we really had uh, great conversations with all the team members and, you know, and telling them how much water they could actually use for their system. So we established this uh, supply and demand water balance and, and teams had to stay within that budget. That means the landscapers uh, needed to pick plantings uh, with that in mind. And, and that even informed the irrigation systems that we deployed. 
I talked earlier about some of the amenities we have on campus. We have this turf soccer field on campus, but to make it work, you know, we needed to think about how we were going to irrigate it a little differently. So we installed this underground watering system that reduces, you know, all the evaporative water loss. You would think about watering a system from the top. So we have this reservoir that sits underneath the soccer field that then, if you think of it, it's really like a, a raised bed planter you might have in your backyard where the roots only take, you know, what they need to thrive. And so those are some of the things that deployed across the campus to make sure that we were able to balance the water that we needed to make this, you know, a really cool and green campus. It also means, you know, having a lot of hydration and coffee stations throughout the campus to make sure that we have plenty of water to uh, treat and recycle. So in the end, beyond the drinking fountains and food service, you know, not a drop of water for more than 2,000 employees, 15 acres of landscape and 643,000 square foot of built space will come from our municipal sources. Yeah, great. Uh, thank you, Darren. That's a very good overview. And it certainly sounds like an extremely sustainable and well-designed uh, campus. So thank you for your thoughts on that one. Now, you know, why did Microsoft decide to do this enormous water conservation effort beyond the obvious point that there is a water issue in the region? Any, any further thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I think what we know is that to address our climate crisis, we need to fundamentally rethink the way we plan for and deliver infrastructure on all of our campuses. That's going to mean essentially an entire deviation from what we once considered business as usual. Um, and I think in in Darren's description, I mean, nothing that he described was sort of a business as usual way of, of typical campus delivery. And so we really wanted to think comprehensively in Silicon Valley on how we use our incredible resources and this land so that we not only operate to support our employees and reduce our impact on the natural environment, but really also give back to that environment, ecologically speaking. It's really about being stewards of the land and the resources that we're fortunate enough to have. And so I think, you know, obviously considering water in California was a crucial aspect, but it really took on a life of its own outside of that one challenge to say not only, you know, how can we reduce our potable water usage, but really how do we think about all of the incredible resources that we have on on our Silicon Valley campus and how we optimize them as, as to the greatest extent possible. Okay, thanks, Katie. Now, my next question, I, I think, uh, Darren, perhaps you alluded to parts of this before, but what's been the impact thus far uh, with all your efforts and what do your projections call for moving forward? Right, yeah. You know, given where we're at with COVID, um, we haven't quite occupied the, uh, the campus 100% yet. So we're, we are getting there uh, you know, every day getting more occupants on site. So like I said earlier, you know, you know, our plan is to offset 100% of our non-potable water demand. And so previously we, we were forecasting, that means the campus typically used 8 million uh, gallons of water per year. And so we plan on saving uh, 4 million gallons per year through the system itself. Fantastic. <laughs> That's great. Now, my next question, you, you guys are in charge of the conservation efforts for the Silicon Valley campus uh, specifically, but I'm guessing Microsoft has operations in other parts of the world, perhaps many other parts of the world where water is similarly scarce. Are you applying any lessons learned from the Silicon Valley campus to other places uh, in your real estate portfolio? Certainly. So as I shared, I lead sustainability for our entire global real estate portfolio. And, and when we think about that, we have our corporate commitments of 
carbon negative, water positive, and zero waste. But what that means in different locations is going to be very different things. We really try within our real estate to focus on regionally relevant solutions that meet our ambitious corporate commitments, but take into context the unique characteristics of each of those locations. So they're going to look different depending on the campus location and the climate. Some examples of how this is different throughout the world. We recently opened our new campus in Herzliya, Israel, and that campus has focused on collecting the water condensate from the air conditioning units, given the heat in Israel, significant amount of water collected from the air conditioning units, and that will be used to water all the plants on site. In India, our newest building in Hyderabad will support 100% treatment and reuse of wastewater on site for landscaping, flushing, cooling tower makeup, similar to Silicon Valley, but a slightly different system. And then in our Puget Sound headquarters redevelopment project, we're going to be harvesting all of the rainwater to use for flush fixtures in the building, which is projected to save more than 5.8 million gallons annually, in addition to a highly efficient cooling tower and central plant system. So these are just some examples of ways that we're thinking about water differently. And it's going to very much depend on the context of the, of the campus, whether we're focusing on an on-site solution or an off-site solution. But all of it sort of threads that concept of departing from a business as usual development strategy and really thinking about the resources we have on each campus and how to put them best to use. Okay, fantastic. Thank you, Katie. And now as we begin to wrap up, my last question is, what's ahead? What's ahead for uh, Microsoft in this area? Are there some new techniques and approaches that you're considering to conserve even more water? And I'm impressed with what you've done already. Don't get me wrong. Certainly. So I think as I shared, you know, we're looking at this differently depending on where our new locations are. I think there's certainly going to be opportunity to try new technologies I think the innovative work that the Silicon Valley campus has done outside of just a, you know, on-site treatment plant, but also to really leverage the landscaping to do a lot of work for our net zero non-potable water campus design has really got us thinking differently about how we can leverage our on-site landscaping resources to sort of naturally do a lot of the work that we need done for us. I think there's going to be a lot of focus on resilience and how we treat ongoing operations with respect to water resilience. And then I think as we get more and more embedded within our local communities, thinking about ways that we can partner with our local communities to not only restore or reduce the water within our four walls, but additionally, as we think about our replenishment strategy, support those communities and really fundamentally improve the ecological systems that we're operating in. Excellent, Katie. Any final thoughts on that one, Darren? I think Katie's, you know, covered it. I, mean, I think for, for me, the next thing is obviously just getting the campus up and running to 100%, you know, making sure that it can do what we've talked about. And then, you know, again, continuing partnering with the, you know, with the other campuses and sites across the globe, understanding what they're doing. Are there things that, you know, we could we could look at, you know, learning from and, and, and turning on here as, as well as, you know, working with, you know, all the sustainable partners that we've spoken with in the past, you know, about design 
who designed this campus, right? Are there other things that we can actually do? And also, you know, working with the, uh, the local municipality and, and, and the state and the county about what they may want to do in the future about, you know, uh, the differences between uh, potable and non-potable water. And is there, is there a way to take that treatment system to the next step? And Tim, I'll, I'll add, I think a big component of this and what we're really excited about bringing our glaze on campus is to, to learn about this, these systems. I think a majority of people don't necessarily realize that the water that they're flushing down the toilet most likely is drinking water. And the idea of opening up an Evian water bottle and pouring it down the toilet probably sounds just as crazy as it really is. And so what we, I think the opportunity that we have here again, going to that against the business as usual is really educating our employees and the public on just the different ways that water treatment comes into our life that we take for granted oftentimes and how important this resource truly is and some of the different ways that we can think about delivering water, cleaning our water, and really keeping this important resource top of mind. Excellent. Well, thank you, Darren and Katie, for these um, very helpful insights. It's been great talking with you. And I'd like to, again, thank you for sharing your expertise and experience with Cornet Global. Thanks for having us. Thanks. This concludes this episode of What's Next. Want to record a podcast of your own? Have an idea or point of view you'd like to share? Visit CornetGlobal.org to learn more.